Welcome to the fourth episode of You'll Think of Something. I'm Allie Perkins, a longtime talent professional with loads of experience in facilitation, training design, and program management. And I'm Kara Oropalo, a producer-turned professor. I spent 12 years in production management at DreamWorks Animation, and now I teach creative management to university students and newly minted leaders in animation studios across the country. This is episode four, and this time we are going to talk about scheduling creative projects. Full transparency, this is Kara's jam. So bef- I love it. <laughs> so before I let her take it away, um, a little reminder of what we're doing here. We're creating a podcast that is meant to provide a space for focused discussion on how to be a productive, creative person on a team, in your own personal work, and in your life. So each episode will center around a topic and an accompanying worksheet. We will utilize the educational tool Pair and Share by separately filling out the same worksheet prior to the show and then sharing our answers with each other during the podcast. So this worksheet is available for all of you listeners to complete as well on our website, www.ytos-podcast.com. Go to the website, look through the episode guides, find the episode that you want, and there's a link to download a PDF version of the worksheet there. Just take a minute to talk about how beautiful these worksheets are because Allie Perkins has figured out how to uh, create PDF worksheets where you can fill in the answers and it doesn't mess up your formatting, which I know is important to many of you out there, including us. Yeah, and it's so important. It's also really important that um, you can print them out because some of our listeners, I'm sure, are real pen to paper people. And so um, I really like the idea of being able to like have a physical copy of the worksheet if that's what makes your heart happy. <laughs> so before we jump into our main topic, uh, we'd like to do our CBB section, which is our could be betters. Um, this expression comes from uh, the world of animation. Uh, where we get notes that it's like, oh, I don't know that we're going to be able to address this, but, you know, it could be better if we have time. Um, So we're taking the time to make uh, these little things better. So I think Allie has uh, a note for for us today. I do. And um, I'm so glad that you're listening right now. Uh, I'm really hoping that you subscribe to the podcast. I'm hoping even more uh, that you... Uh, have shared the podcast with a friend or a colleague uh, or a classmate. Um, But what I really want to do that I haven't been asking you to do is to please rate and review the podcast. Those ratings and reviews will help us to be recognized and climb the podcast charts. If you subscribed, you get an A, of course, But if you rate and review, you get an A+. And I haven't discussed this with Kara yet, but I think that we could strike a deal where every week, if we get a really good review, we'll read it on air. Yeah, that's a great idea. I would love to uh, celebrate our listeners in that way. Same. So um, all of us could be better 
I could ask you more directly to do this thing that supports our podcast, and you could be better listener by going and rating and reviewing. Now I'm handing it over to you, Kara. Okay. So today we're talking about scheduling creative projects. Um, so why are we talking about this? Uh, let's take a minute to review what our personal experiences are with scheduling to kind of set up this framework. And then, of course, we'll jump into um, our favorite thing, the worksheet. Um, so my uh, experience in animation centers almost entirely around scheduling. Uh, now, when you say it like that, I guess it's like a stripped down version because as I'll discuss today, like your schedule in a creative project is this living, breathing organism and document that um, is subject to egos and personal whims and issues um, that you, that are out of your control within the zeitgeist and the culture of our world, right? Like there's a lot of stuff that we don't get to dictate when it comes to making a creative project. Um, however, the piece that we can hang on to, uh, that anchor for us uh, in, in this world of creative uh, making is our schedule. That is the piece that we can hang on to the most. Um, so, and it becomes like the, the document that we can refer to and say, what was the plan? How is the plan changing? What are we gonna do next? Um, so that, that schedule becomes a really important piece. It has been an important piece of my life for a very long time. Um, and it really is the cornerstone of what I try to teach to my students. Um, yes, um, uh, the soft skills are an incredibly important part of the work, um, but your ability to get people um, to uh, adhere to a schedule to deliver a product on time is first and foremost your responsibility uh, when you are in a management position. Uh, so these schedules, they become our little babies. Uh, and they become really important pieces of what, what we do um, and how we denote uh, success, I think, in making creative projects. Wow, Kara. Um, I think you can really tell that you're passionate about this subject. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I know. I'm excited uh, and also a little bit embarrassed by the amount of nerding out that I'm going to do on this episode, y'all. So get ready. <laughs> no, I think, I mean, I'm, I know I'm thrilled to um, hear the specifics of your experience and how that translates into um, tools and frameworks that, um, you know, we might be able to use uh, after this episode. So, I mean, ah, I've always our own personal work. That's exactly right. So, but Allie, mm -hmm. I do want to note here, like obviously, I could go off on the wonderful world of scheduling for a long time, um, but you also have a ton of experience in scheduling as well, um, in in slightly different capacities. So maybe you can talk about that. So uh, my experience with scheduling, especially uh, scheduling creative projects, uh, starts with my uh, book arts degree from the University of Alabama. And uh, I was a very strong academic in college. And uh, when I started grad school, I went into a Master of Fine Arts program and the scheduling there, the personal scheduling in terms of getting pieces of artwork completed from 
concept uh, through execution and all the way to finished product or display was much different than my experience following a syllabus, uh, studying up to a test, turning in a paper. Uh, And so it was a real crash course in time management, uh, but also understanding that I'm not the only, um, I'm not the only factor in the Mm -hmm. success or, or the following of this timeline that I've created for myself. There are so many other things that go into making sure that I can execute on my idea. And that means identifying resources. That means uh, scheduling time with uh, machinery or equipment. It means that, um, you know, I have other things that I can't control, like deliveries of my supplies that I need to build into my timeline. So it's not just me getting some reading done and knowing when the test is. Um, so I'll, uh, that is my you know background as an artist. And then uh, the second part of this is in the last uh, about five to six years of my career, I have been designing training programs. So while I wouldn't say that they are um, you know works of fine art like the books that I created, they do have a lot of design elements in them and oh, yeah. uh, stakeholder. Uh, stakeholder investment, as well as dependence on subject matter experts. And you'll hear me refer to them as SMEs as we um, move through this conversation. But, um, you know, when I talk about training program design, that's probably what I'm talking about at the forefront when I'm talking about project management and creative project management. Um, And so, you know, that's where my experience and my foundation lies. Awesome. I think this is going to be so fascinating because we have uh, different experiences that sort of, I think, speak to um, uh, different macro and micro situations. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And also different like um, amounts of people that you're dealing with. Yes. Right. And I think that always really affects schedules and of course the outcome of creative projects in general. So absolutely. All right. Should we uh, should we go ahead and jump into our worksheets? I don't think I could stop you if I wanted to. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and ask you question number one, Kara. Uh, what tools or software do you use to schedule? Okay. Well, I'm going to get you know a little bit uh, meta here, and you know think about what do you define as the schedule. Right. (laughs) What you don't know, everyone, is that Allie is rolling her eyes at me right now. I think of a schedule as a document and like legit, like I think of a schedule as a document with a horizontal axis that denotes time and a vertical axis that denotes tasks and or people. And so this is different, right? Because some people are like, well, my calendar is my schedule. And I think of schedules as this um, this very specific type of schedule, usually um, using Gantt or Agile frameworks, and we can talk about that more, um, but where we're looking at these tasks very specifically against a timeline. I think of a, a calendar more as milestones because something needs to be done or posted on that day, but that doesn't necessarily, necessarily explain how long it has taken to prepare for that day to arrive, right? 
So uh, that's why for me, my most important schedule building tool is Excel um, because I, <laughs> I can use this beautiful little uh, cells to design any sort of uh, horizontal and vertical axis that I need. And it can get bigger or smaller. I can add as many tabs as I want to. I freaking love Excel. I still love Excel. I love Google Sheets too. I love, you know, I'm not as crazy about numbers, but basically I like anything that's in, you know, the Excel spreadsheet family. Um, professionally, uh, I use Shotgun primarily. So Shotgun is a task management program uh, with Gantt capabilities uh, that is designed specifically for visual effects, animation, uh, games. Uh, it's, live action uses it sometimes, but, you know, honestly, it's mostly when it's, it's uh, in reference to uh, visual effects. Um, so Shotgun software, it's, it's browser-based. Um, it is expensive, though, if you're looking to get it on your own, which is not something that I really recommend. Um, but if you do want to get experience in Shotgun, um, you know, there are, there are university classes. There are uh, tutorials that you can do um, if, like, animation and games and visual effects in particular is, like, your jam. Um, there are things you can do. I teach Shotgun in my classes at school. Um, and we use it uh, for all of our like larger program. Or, I'm sorry, we use it for all, most of our larger classes um, to uh, not only organize the work and chart it on a schedule, but also to see um, how that information connects actually using Python code to the pipeline and to like the programs we're using, like Maya um, and other Autodesk programs. Um, other great products um, that are out there if you're not in a situation where you can use something like Shotgun or if you're not working on a project that needs Shotgun. For example, if you're creating um, like an After Effects, a one minute After Effects ex explainer video to put on your website, you don't need Shotgun to track that, right? Um, that, you know, Excel will do you just fine. Um, but also other great products that you can use. Um, Asana uh, is a super cheap uh, scheduling program that I recommend. Um, Ganter is basically an extension of Google Sheets, um, or at least it works really well with the uh, like, like the Google Suite, the G Suite, if you will. Um, Rike, W-R-I-K-E, and that'll be in the resources as well. Rike is one that a lot of people use. Um, Smartsheet. Uh, Trello has a Gantt function that you can pay for, but I have not, so I don't know if it's any good. Um, but there are lots of programs out there, and this is a common question I get in my classes of like, listen, I don't have the ability to have Shotgun, but I would like some sort of task management or schedule program that I could be using. Um, and so all of these products are great options for you because not only, and we'll get into this in a minute, um, are they... Uh, uh, you, they, not only are they are you using this program to schedule, but you're also using this program to make the list of tasks that need to be accomplished, which is in many ways the most important part of a schedule. I'm done. You can you, <laughs> can, sure. you can laugh at me now. <laughs> Just making sure. Um, okay, so one of the reasons that I was cheesing so hard during your answer. Um, was because I was not expecting us to have such a similar answer. 
in this. No way. Yes. I really I thought that we were going to be approaching this particular question from very different um from very different perspectives and and so yes you definitely went into um more detail around the computer based or um program based uh you know tools that you can use that are very specific to the mm-hmm. kind of scheduling that you're talking about but um for my answer I said I use gantt charts in excel and yeah, yeah. and um, the way I describe it is it's kind of a, it's a way of organizing tasks that looks kind of like a bar chart on its side. Um, yeah. the activities are on the left side of the chart and the measurement unit is across the top. Um, yep. it's really effective for mapping out dependencies and that's why I like it so much and for helping you identify resources. So for example, if you need a 3d printer for a part of your project, and you have to request that equipment in advance, that's a dependency, right? So you need to be able to attain that equipment in order to complete the tasks in your schedule. So a Gantt chart can help you better pinpoint what you need to do before you um, acquire that uh, equipment in order to be ready to use it. Uh, And it's also going to help you pinpoint where you need to go ahead and uh, request uh, that particular equipment. So um, I use this um, example of the 3D printer uh, just because it's something that you can rent from a lab or you rent time with in a studio or at your local library and um, you can't just usually walk in and use it you have to have a plan around it and you're sharing the resource with other people and I think that we're going to talk a lot about sharing resources uh, as we continue this conversation because resources aren't just equipment or computer-based or they're people too People, they're mm-hmm. people. They're people. And so um, a Gantt chart's going to kind of help you map out um, who or what you need to complete for what task and when. And so it's also... Can I, can I, can I jump in here, though? Of and course. just because you and I have both been talking about Gantt charts so much, for people who don't know what a Gantt chart is, it's a type of bar chart that... Um, uh, it oftentimes uh, looks like a waterfall um, because of these these task dependency natures that Allie's talking about here. And because, you know, you do need to use, you need to, you know, get the material and then reserve time with the 3D printer and then actually print the 3D stuff um, and then paint on top of it, um, you start to see that work flowing like a waterfall. So when we say Gantt chart, when we say waterfall chart, that's what we're talking about here. Um, we'll put some examples up on um, on the website. Um, but the reason it, it, it's called Gantt is it's named after the dude, Henry Gantt, who first came up with this. But um, it doesn't stand for anything or anything like that. <laughs> no, I'm glad you clarified because, um, yes, we're going to put up a lot of resources uh, for this episode. Uh, but uh, there's so many uh, great resources, mostly on YouTube, about how to create Gantt charts in Excel and how to modify them and how to uh, 
uh, make them applicable to your, oh I mean, to your yes. particular project or situation. So one last yeah, thing. Oh, go ahead. You can, you can, I was just going to say that like you can, there's so many templates. Like if you're like, this is overwhelming for me. Like I hate Excel. Like there's so many templates where you can, like so many formulas are already in there and then you can just put in like the start date and it will automatically pre-populate all of the rows um, with the correct date, um, right? Or, or the, there'll be conditional formatting in there that will change um, a color based on who it's assigned to or something like that. So there's like, don't be afraid of Excel. There's so much um, that's possible with very limited Excel knowledge. Oh, absolutely. Um, so the one last thing that I want to talk about when you know, we're talking about Gantt charts is that it's also a really great way to prioritize tasks. So you can tell if something is critical uh, or if it is a task that can be done with more flexibility based on the dependencies around it. Um, so just like we were talking about with the uh, 3D printer, uh, acquiring the 3D printer is critical in this you know, made-up project that we're talking about because the steps that follow it, including printing and painting, can't be done unless you have acquired that particular piece of equipment. So it's really nice to be able to look at your chart and say these things are absolutely critical to being able to successfully complete my project and that's going to help you with your time absolutely and that is what I often refer to as a milestone right and then those milestones if you're a person who's like but I like to look at calendars calendars make sense to me you can take those milestones and put them on a calendar so you can look at that I'm trying really hard to not have my Michigan voice come in now where I say calendar just so y'all know <laughs> Um, I've always my whole life said calendar. Um, so I'm trying really hard to say calendar. Um, so if you're a person who likes to use calendars, um, you can take those milestones then and understand those task dependencies and put them into something that makes sense for you. Because maybe the Gantt chart doesn't make sense to you on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, but you need it to understand how to establish those milestones. Very true. Um, but I mean, what you were saying is literally, it's so perfect because it's literally what I teach my class. Like I show them, well, I do it with a house. I say like, if you're doing the construction of the house, like, look, here's where we pour the concrete. We can't do any of this other stuff until we pour the concrete and let the concrete set. So that becomes a, that five day period is like really important and is going to hold up everything else. Like you're literally saying all the, you could teach my class, basically. <laughs> well, I mean, the other thing is, is if you know that the concrete's going to take five days to set, what can you be doing in that five days to yes. continue to drive the project forward so that you aren't just literally watching concrete dry? Yeah, right. And what happens if it rains? What's your contingency plan? Like all of those things, right? That's so right. So speaking of pouring concrete for the foundation of a house, um, where do you start when it comes to creative, you know, creative scheduling? Yes, I think the start is, is really hard for people, um, the start of the schedule, because at the beginning, uh, we are all inspired and excited about a creative idea and require, requiring us to sit down and put it on paper and figure out the logistics oftentimes um, takes some of the spark 
out, some of that fizzle out, um, because people are like, oh, shoot, this is hard, or oh, I didn't think about that piece of it, or oh, it's going to take six weeks for us to do this piece? Like, it's going to take us that long before we can even really get started on the part we like? So a lot of projects burn out at this point, right? Um, but I do think it's possible uh, to keep that spark alive. Um, and the thing for me that I find really important and that we did for our project is a creative brief. Um, because I think constructing your creative brief at the beginning of a project not only helps you to um, uh, hold on to your creative goals, um, but also work through some of those logistics in a way that doesn't feel too overwhelming. Um, and so I think that that space um, allows you to think a little bit about timeline and a little bit about milestones and a little bit about resources, uh, but it doesn't, um, there's no reason to sit down necessarily and make that schedule right away and burn out right away. You know what I mean? So I think that, I think uh, spending time and recognizing that staying high level, like um, at the beginning, um, can be really, can, can be really beneficial. Um, so then, uh, in addition to the creative brief, which we can uh, we can post some examples of what a creative brief is uh, in on the website. Um, it, it's basically a space where you're writing down your mission and your values and your goals and and uh, who's going to be involved in these sorts of things. Um, I think the most important pieces to define when you're starting a project are number one, your overall timeline. Number two, your uh, task to-do list, um, and oftentimes this is called a work breakdown structure um, or a WBS, so that might be mentioned, you might hear that in a workplace, um, but really what a work breakdown structure is, is a glorified to-do list. Um, it is helping you to assess the total work that needs to be done um, and breaking it up into like more compartmentalized pieces. Uh, along with this work breakdown structure or to-do list, um, you usually need to develop a pipeline or a process um, because otherwise, like what work, what order is the work moving in, right, through the project? Um, so developing that, that pipeline and developing like the fact, uh, and when I say that, um, of course, from like an animation perspective, it's things like the character needs to be designed before it can be modeled and surfaced, right? Um, for uh, something more like a podcast, um, we need to come up with our episode ideas before we can go in and start recording an episode. So it could be something is like, it seems obvious, but it's like, oh, we have to take the time to do this, right? Um, so those sorts of moments of process are really important. And then lastly, as Ali already mentioned, um, defining your resources. And um, one thing that's really interesting from my time in animation is that the resources are people. The resources are only people in animation because we only work in the computer. There is no set. There, uh, there, there are no materials that we need to order that need to be shipped in. We need to create work in the computer. So in animation, we actually schedule and bid or budget um, in labor weeks. So everything is defined by how many weeks it's going to take to get work done. So we say, oh, that's about a two-week project, right? That's two, that's two labor weeks. Um, so literally, people are the only resource that matters, um, figuratively, but also literally in terms of animation. Um, 
what about you, Allie? Where do, where do you start when you're thinking about your projects? Well, first I want to echo your sentiment about it being difficult to start, but I want Ugh. to, I know, but I want to remind <laughs> our listeners that the race is one, one step at a time. And I'm often shocked by how easy things feel after you've taken that first big step. Uh, so I think at some point we will probably do another very meta bonus episode uh, where we talk about all of the planning, preparation, and scheduling we did to make this podcast happen. Totally. Um, yeah, because you know just what you were outlining right now in terms of the activity around the creative brief all the way down to defining your resources um, is something that we undertook ourselves. And yeah. so it'll be really nice for us to revisit that process and, and, and talk actually a little bit about um, what the real time, how long it took in reality. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, yeah, I think that that would be so fun um, and, and hopefully useful for people to have like a case scenario to follow. Exactly. Yeah. So um, back to the beginning, uh, when I talk about where I start, um, yeah. <laughs> I actually start at the end and work my way back. I love that. Which sounds counterintuitive, uh, but the end is the very best place to start because if you have a deliverable or if you have a personal goal, okay, um, so uh, by deliverable, I mean something that you owe to someone or some entity uh, for which you do not have um, as much, you, for which you do not have control, right? So taxes, due April 15th, that's a deliverable, right? Um, but um, on the flip side, putting out our podcast on Wednesday. Yes, that's a deliverable, but it's also a personal goal. Nothing, you know, we're not going to get fined if our podcast doesn't come out on Wednesday. The podcast isn't going to disappear because we didn't put out an episode um, when we said we were going to. So, you know, it's those two things that I kind of think about. Um, when is the ultimate deliverable supposed to be submitted? Or what is my personal goal? And then you can... With that in mind, you can backtrack and dedicate time leading up to that uh, event or milestone uh, that will allow you to really think about how much time you're going to need in order to accomplish those things that need to be done. Um, so starting with the end in mind is... Um, a design principle, but it's also a scheduling principle, and uh, it's served me really well over the years. To that end, um, it's also amazing how often we start on a project without really defining what the deliverable is, and that's something that I love about the creative brief too, of course, but um, in general, I have to tell you, so many of my, my students um, come to me with an idea um, but that's what it is. It's an idea. And the first step for us is to figure out, okay, we have a semester. What does the end of this semester look like? What are you actually delivering? And of course, uh, for my students, it's usually like something for my portfolio. Um, and, and so they are like, well, I'm going to make this amazing like three-level game. And it's like, that's awesome. 
However, how are you going to showcase this? Do we need to create a video? Um, are you going to have an executable that people can download? Um, so thinking genuinely in terms of like, what do I have at the end of this? And what am I going to do with this thing um, can really help people to figure out like, oh, what is it that I'm actually making and help to define that task list that we were talking about. Um, one other thing I wanted to bring up um, for um, starting is um, just the iterative process of scheduling. I think so often people are like, so I made a schedule and I'm good. And it turns out that it doesn't work like that. <laughs> um, so I think that uh, in a couple different ways, I mean, first of all, when you first start scheduling, it's like anything with design that um, it's big picture. Uh, you're thinking about phases, you're thinking about like overall ideas, and then, uh, then as you learn more, you apply more and you get more granular. Um, but at the beginning, um, uh, this is probably a term that's used um, in many places, but I know in animation and games, uh, we refer to it as assumptions. So you make your list of assumptions at the beginning um, so that nothing stands in your way. Because so often when we start scheduling, we can get hung up or we can get stuck in the weeds because we don't know a piece of information. And we're like, well, I can't move forward because I don't know who's going to be doing this work or I don't know who my vendor is or whatever the case may be. And it's like you have to go more high level and say, I'm assuming that it's someone who is competent and capable and able to do this. And I'm assuming that that person is going to be available to start on November 15th. But what's you know, tricky? That... <laughs> no, it's okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, but what's tricky about that is definitely um, how that comes to pass with different working or behavioral styles. So for people or planners who need every single little detail in order yeah. to be comfortable with a decision, right? Someone who processes a lot of detail can be really difficult to make that leap with assumptions. But I think that um, I just feel like this is an area where I really want to push on people to be more flexible because we have to be flexible in the world of creativity. We have to be, right? Because this is not all black and white. We can't know all the answers. In fact, I'm going to tell you right now, you will not know all the answers at, at any moment, but especially at the beginning when you're crafting a schedule. And so you have to say, I think this will work. And then when you know more, you will adjust and it will be okay. Um, but I think that's the hardest mindset to get into because if you're a person who wants to have all of the answers or wants to have all of the information figured out, it's really hard at the beginning, um, starting with that more um, big picture schedule. It's, it's harder to look at that and say, yes, I trust this. This makes sense to me. Well, and I think that's a great segue into number three. It's like, what do you consider when you're constructing your timelines and what happens when it goes wrong? Oh, what happens when it will go wrong, right? right. Which is something I just want to say out loud, like, like let's level set here yeah. again. Like it's like, there's not, uh, I'm, I, and maybe wrong is the, is the wrong word because it's like, it's going to happen. Like change is a huge part of, uh, making a creative project. And so because of that, um, things are going to change and your schedule will change. And it's just about how do you pivot, right? How do you make it better? How do you make this work to your advantage? These sorts of things. Um, 
So I think one big picture thing to think about here is that we've been talking about Gantt schedules or waterfall schedules, um, but there's also um, a different type of scheduling um, that is very common called Agile, um, the Agile framework or the Agile method. Um, and what that represents um, is instead of something being like task dependent, um, it's more about sprints towards smaller goals. And this is commonly used in uh, software development or um, in games uh, because uh, it's not something like, like uh, building an automobile or making an animated movie where it's like, I'm going to do this piece and then I'm going to pass it down the assembly line. Instead, we're all iterating in our small circles and moving forward in small amounts and then stopping to compare. Um, so based on whatever, you know, type of end product or deliverable it is that you're making, um, the way that you schedule might be different. I do feel like a Gantt schedule works for most projects, but if you're creating something um, that is a little bit more iterative, don't be afraid to investigate like more of an agile framework. Can you clarify what you mean by iterative in this context? Yes. So for example, um, Let's talk about if you're if you're if you're building a game. Um, let's say that you're building um, a, a level in a video game, and um, you don't have necessarily like it's it's not like an animated film where it's like um, this needs to be animated before this can be lit before this can be put in front of an audience. Um, when you're making a game, it's like, well, the character needs to move from A to B, and in the process, he needs to walk, and he needs to like look around for enemies. Um, but what if, while he's looking around for enemies, we also have an option for the fact that he can talk to this person? Or what if um, he could take this other path instead and go down here and do this thing? And those aren't necessary, but they plus the gameplay and they help to make the experience more enjoyable. Um, and so those things get added, right? Or um, if we have time basically, right? So we sprint towards these smaller goals of trying to create um, like a base level of gameplay. Um, but then we can uh, look at it, evaluate, and then iterate and do another level of um, complexity, right? And say, let's add some more cool ass shit to this. <laughs> no, that makes perfect sense. Thank you. Yeah. So um, the factors that I consider when developing timelines um, outside of this concept of like, what is my framework and my Gantt or my agile or what's my situation? Um, things to consider who you're working with, their level of experience, the amount of time that you have with them, right? These are super important things. Um, are you uh, working with a graphic designer who can give you three hours a week? Um, that's going to affect when and you know how much work they can accomplish for you and uh, over like what sort of timeline that's going to take. Um, who is approving the work and what they care about? Um, and a good example for this for me um, was on Crudes. Um, when I worked on the Crudes, the directors were story artists. So they were really interested in story and they were really hard on our story artists uh, because they had uh, they were really attached to that part of the process. 
Um, and then when it got to animation, where I was the production supervisor, they were like, cool, yeah, we trust you, it's fine. Uh, now, this is also a combination of the fact that we were working with an incredible head of animation whose name is James Baxter. Um, he's like, he animated Belle and Rafiki. Um, he animated the penguins in the new Mary Poppins movie. So James is this amazing animator who also, if you're interested in Adventure Time, there's an episode that's sort of an ode to James Baxter, where this horse just like walks around saying, James Baxter. Um, and that's voiced by James Baxter, by the way. So a little exciting animation, nerdy tidbit in there for you. Anyways, so I think that that's interesting because the directors were like, cool, James, we trust you implicitly. And we don't need to give feedback because you're going to take care of it. Uh, but also, this isn't our area of expertise, so we're not going to like nitpick you as much, right? Um, so the way that we were able to schedule our work and move through our work was much more efficient because of that level of trust, that blind trust that came into play there. Now that makes sense because the more checkpoints you have, um, the longer things can take. Yes. <coughs> Don't mind me. That was my wine. <laughs> yes. Um, which leads me to my next point, which the other thing to consider, of course, is milestones. How often do you need to check in with people? Um, what are the big check-ins for your deliverable? Um, are the right people involved in those check-ins? Or is it going to be the kind of thing like you show it to a client and the client is like, that's great. Let me run this up the flagpole. And you're like, wait. I have to wait two more weeks to hear back from like 700 other executives. I didn't know about this, right? Um, so those milestones are really important. Uh, and, uh, and another thing to consider, I think, is um, your design process. Uh, again, going back to this concept of establishing like your pipeline or your process, but like what is the order that the work moves in, um, whether it's just within specifically your department or your area or your personal thing that you're doing, or whether it's like how does move out of my space and interact with other people and then come back to me. Um, all of that is going to elongate um, and potentially cause uh, issues <laughs> for your schedule. Um, what do you think? What are the things that you consider, Allie? You know, I was super literal with this question. And uh, I'm thinking about this in a work context in terms sure. of um, uh, teamwork and also maybe small business. Uh, so a couple of things that I think you need to keep in mind um, is or are really around resource delays um, for other dependencies with your stakeholders or partners that will inevitably slow you down. These things include uh, vacations, unexpected illnesses, holidays, um, and other factors that we may not account for when it comes to being in direct relation with the work, but presence inevitably has an impact yes. on the work. And, oh and the other thing is, is that there has to be work-life balance. So yes. even if you're completely committed to being on this project or working towards a goal in the next six months, that doesn't mean that so-and-so's sister isn't getting married or that uh, so-and-so isn't having a baby or yeah. that so-and-so is having a medical procedure that they can't put off anymore. So 
you have to account for the unaccountable. Um, and that means leaving room in your schedule uh, for those instances. Um, you know, and the contingency plans. Uh-huh. Yeah. And when it goes wrong, um, you know, my my wisdom and advice is uh, prioritize. When it goes wrong, you have to prioritize. And that can mean having to go back to your stakeholders to say, hey, this isn't going to work anymore. But it can also mean processing that internally for you as a project manager or for a small business owner or an artist and going back to yourself and being honest with yourself and saying, this isn't going to work anymore. And it's not a reflection on me. It's not a reflection uh, on my work itself. Um, What it is a reflection on is that I need to plan better. But... Um, no, but but in all seriousness, um, especially if you're starting out or you're new to project management on whatever scale, uh, you are going to underestimate the amount of time that an activity will take. And so you need to be kind to yourself as you go through that learning process and understand that you you will gain that realistic perspective if you're intentional about keeping up with your scheduling and recognizing when things have gone over schedule and why they've gone beyond schedule and um, carrying that knowledge forward with you uh, on your next project. Absolutely. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I, it's Of course, I'm feeling shades of our uh, episode 102, Managing You, coming into play here. But it's totally true yeah. um, that this is like, it's all tied up together, right? And, and you know what? There are some things that are completely out of your control, 100%. I can't tell you how many uh, projects were disrupted by the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic in, uh, you know, respective countries. And so, um, you know, those things, those are definitely not a reflection of you or your planning abilities. Those are, um, I think, what we call black swans, right? So these unexpected uh, chance events that happen, and, um, and that is when we're truly called on to flex and respond uh, in ways that are in alignment with our values and our mission. One thing that I want to highlight for what happens when it goes wrong is how often we still get the work done. Even oh, that's when things, so true. Yeah. Right? Like even when things go yeah. wrong. For example, um, I'm thinking about a specific situation um, that I was uh, in with uh, on Rise of the Guardians. With a, I was working with matte painting, and um, we had – Basically, um, they'd shown us a screening and we were like, oh my gosh, like the mat, the amount of matte painting, which is background paintings that basically extend the set, um, the amount of paintings that we needed to do were just like, like so much more than we had originally accounted for. And so we turned in a new bid or a new budget that was like, based on the latest screening and progress screening, like our bid has basically doubled. And my producer sat us down and was like, 
And for those of you who are interested in the world of animation, this is Nancy Bernstein. She has since passed, but she was a force, like a really incredible person. And she was like, I don't think this is true. I understand that you're scared. I understand that when you look at this, that um, it feels overwhelming to you. But what I'm going to ask you to do is go back to your department and track some actuals uh, to take a couple weeks and actually track how long people are taking to do work and then come back to me and then we'll see if these numbers are right or are these numbers a representation of your panic and initial fear from looking at the screening. I love that. I love and she was she was right, by the way. Like when we went back and actually started looking at what the artists were doing and then we're able to compare it to the numbers that we had inflated in our head, it really wasn't that bad. But, and we were, we were able to accommodate it. We did have, we did need like a little bit more money to get it done, but it was like not double the bid. <laughs> um, and that was a really important lesson for me that like, you know, as Dr. Ian Malcolm says, life finds a way. Yeah. Yeah, you're like, so right. I'm I'm so glad you brought that up because even though we have to change our plans or change direction, um, things still need to get done at the end of the day, and we do find a way to do them. And um, it never ceases to amaze me how um, ingenious or how productive people can be when the hour calls for them to do so you know right and creativity thrives in a oh, box gosh that's absolutely Cre true creativity thrives against a deadline um oh gosh that's like that's painfully true for me right yeah. i mean literally ali we were talking about this today that you were talking about epi like editing an episode and that you were doing it because we had a meeting and uh, you had been putting it off otherwise right of course yes Yes, and that's what we all do. Like, we need those deadlines in order to get things done. Ladies and gentlemen, Kara um, or Apollo, calling me out. <laughs> I will be the first to say that I do the same thing. This is the outer accountability that I was talking sure. about in episode sure. 102. Like, I desperately need the outer accountability. But we all do. Yeah, yeah. All right, so, um, you know, we've talked now about what we have to take into account um, and we've talked about uh, resources and our tools uh, but we're not the only ones using our timelines or our schedules so what do you need to keep in mind when you're sharing your timeline with others and those others can be team members leaders stakeholders anyone else who has an investment in your project that's a really good question that we asked ourselves. Um, <laughs> um, I think that uh, the first thing to ask is uh, the schedule that you made, this timeline that you've created, what is the purpose of it? Was it for you to hash it all out? Um, or is it a communication document to explain to somebody else, this is the plan? Um, because those are two different things. Like if it's an internal document that it's like, this is just for me to be able to look at things and figure out how and when and why I need to get this work done. That is one thing. But if it is a big picture document that is e either being used to sell your product, right, so that you can get um, somebody to uh, put cash behind it, 
or if you're trying to explain something to a high-level client who doesn't understand the work that you're doing because that's why they've hired you to do the work that you're doing, um, then it needs to be high-level, big picture, right, um, with the things that they care about highlighted. Um, so we need to think about uh, when we're looking at schedules, like what is the purpose for this? And don't think that like every schedule is created equal, right? Like just because you've created a schedule that makes sense to you does not mean that it is appropriate to show that schedule to other people. It might need some work to be done to it before it's ready for that. So you want to think about um, is this some is this like an actual working document for me or is this a communication tool that I'm using for other people? Um, and if I am showing it to other people, what do they care about? What is the bottom line for them? Can they read this? Is this helpful for them? Or do they need actually like bullet points or, a you know, a calendar schedule instead of something like this? Um, what background information is not represented in these colored boxes that I need to make sure that I either say out loud or include in a top sheet? Um, and if it's a client or a potential donor or potential, you know, cash cow, I don't know, people who are going to give you money, what sells your story best? Like, how can you use this schedule or this timeline to be like, look what I can do for you in six months or look at the product that I can make in six months? Like, what is going to sell for you? Um, so I think those are the things that we need to think about um, when we're looking at other people. Um, oh, one other thing that I didn't bring up. So when we're talking about team members, because um, I was looking more like at managing up, um, I think from a team member perspective, um, we need to think about um, can other people understand this document? Does this make sense to them? If not, what is an alternative schedule that will work for them? Something that I often tell my students to utilize is something called projections, which is basically looking at what people are doing over the course of a few weeks. Um, and so you're breaking down something like a large project schedule into what are you responsible for this week and what are you responsible for next week. And that can become much more tangible for people or just much more like, like they can engage with a document like that versus something that's more like high level, big picture, like a Gantt chart. No, that's a great point. And um, when it comes to knowing your audience, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's a much briefer way to say that, by the way, just know your audience. Yeah, you should know your audience. Um, <laughs> there are a couple of things that I think you should keep in mind. It's uh, first and foremost, if you're using a specific program, making sure that they have access to that program or that the uh, document is in a readable format. And oh, my gosh, yes. Like basic, right? But it, this is only top of mind because the other day I was in a meeting and um, the uh, person who was leading the meeting uh, instructed me to go uh, pull up a Visio document. And I'm still at a new job, so I don't have all of my software yet. Um, yeah. But I was thinking about it and I was like, you know, there in a lot of corporations um, or even in a lot of small businesses, um, you, uh, you, you don't always have every single piece of software if it's not relevant to um, your role or responsibilities and it's a you know it's an asset management thing for a lot of companies it's totally understandable licenses and all of that good stuff um, but if you're creating 
your um, your timeline in Visio, or if you're creating it in Excel, you make sure that everyone has access uh, to those uh, to those programs. If you're not just saving it in PDF, the other thing is is how you're displaying it is going to be really important too. Is this going to be something that they have access to? Um, is it going to be something that other people can change or iterate? And um, if you're going to be showing it virtually, which a lot of the time, a lot of our work is virtual, especially at this point, um, then you have to think about the optics just of the way in which you're presenting the timeline. So a Gantt chart on an Excel spreadsheet that is like 2,000 cells long is just really not going to read if you're trying to pitch to potential investors or to a team that um, is, you know, a, a team uh, that is frontline. It, it's just it's it's not the best way to do it. Uh, yeah. So you have to really think about those things as well. And when it comes to uh, whether or not this is an internal tool or something that's going to be shared, you also want to think about um, iterations and versioning because. Yeah. Um, it is really useful for you as the project manager, no matter on what scale, to be able to look back and see when and how things shifted. Just so like I was saying earlier, you can build up that knowledge of uh, realistic expectations and of just pure experience, just knowing that things can happen. Um, but also because this is your baseline. Like yes. this is the only measuring stick that we have. Yes. And it's also going to be, you know, it's, it's also going to be a resource for you in the future. So when you can say, I have a similar project, let me go back and see how long I thought it was going to take me. And then let me see how long it actually took so that you understand every time that you do version uh, this, project timeline uh, that you are capturing a new piece of information that will be useful to you in the future. Oh, I love that. That's a really, really good point. So, okay. To that point, Allie, how do you know when you're done iterating? How do you know when you're done with a, with a schedule? You put a bow on it. <laughs> You parade it around. That's right. <laughs> no, you know, um, I love this question because uh, the idea of ownership is such uh, an interesting one when it comes to artistry and also when it comes to uh, teamwork, right? And so you can... It can be really difficult to let go of a project, especially if you have perfectionistic tendencies. And so a project can, you know, maybe never end. Uh, But you need to be able to close one door and move on to uh, a new, uh, you know, to something new. And so it's really important to clearly define when you're done in terms of, Uh, you know, a date, so a milestone that you need to reach. Uh, But I think more importantly is when there's a clear handoff. Mm. And a clear handoff means that you are no longer going to be able to go back and touch whatever work that is. And it needs to be distinct. Uh, 
especially if you are a resource. And I think you've talked a little bit about this, Kara, resource um, where you're moving from one project to another project uh, because the original project isn't going to be able to steal your time without impacting another project, another timeline. And so you want to have these really clean cuts where ownership is involved um, to, to make sure that other worlds aren't being impacted. Uh, so how do you know when you're done? Well, uh, the short answer is you're never done. So no, there's that. <laughs> that's not what I no, wanted. no, I don't even mean that in a <laughs> bummer way. I just mean that if you're working on a creative project, like, gosh, you want to work on it until the very, very, very last moment. And therefore, the schedule is going to change until the very, very last moment, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you should never lock into a schedule and be like, this is it. I solved it because you will be disappointed. Also, inherently, you are uh, missing the point of your job. Like our job in management is to make a plan, watch it fall to pieces, pick those pieces up, start over again, and still get there, right? Um, and it is like, yeah, I don't mean to say that it never ends because it does. Like you, you, you hand off, like you hit the wall of like, and we are done, we have delivered it, and now we move on to something else. Um, but I do think that that process of like redoing and redoing our schedule and saying like, well, that didn't work and we have to do something else can be a real grind for people. And if you're a creative person and this is your first time handling this level of change management, um, I just want you to know it's totally normal Yeah, because it is impossible to plan for everything. It, it will change. And the, the, the strength is in how your, your, the strength is in your ability to adapt to that change. Mm-hmm. Um, So it's done, you know, like it's done when, I love what you say, Allie, it's done when it's out of your hands, when you can't touch it anymore is when it's done. And you know what, that's not to say that, especially in um, training design, uh, needs of the business change, um, client groups change, et cetera. So that's not to say that, that things will not come back to you. But at that point, it's a redefined project. The project is no longer designing this training program. The project is making updates to an existing training program. Yeah, it's maintenance. Yes, yes, that's absolutely Yeah, and that's different, right. So, Kara, I know that you have a lot of experience um, with a lot of different tools and a lot of different processes and that you've worked with a lot of different people who probably have really different approaches to project management than either you or I do. And so I'm going to let you talk about all of it after I finish answering question six. Sounds good. Okay, great. Go for it. (laughs) So question six is what has worked for you in the past and what have you tried? So, um, One of the resources or the resource that I'm going to point to is a book that I used to use when teaching a project management course, this crash course, um, and it's called 10 Steps to Successful Project Management by Lou Russell, and we will um, link to this in the show notes. There are some really helpful matrices and illustrations that help me to be creative with my project planning. And in the past, I've often struggled with the dry stuff of project planning. 
Um, so the dry stuff being the stuff that I want to do last. Um, but that's only because I didn't know how to make it my own. And so project planning doesn't have to be dry. In fact, it can be invigorating. I love learning from others, better understanding the processes, and working towards a goal. So it feels really good, and I want other people that are endeavoring in this space to feel good about it too, which is why I am recommending this book, because the frameworks are... um, I, I don't want to say bare bones because that's going to sound like it's not a thorough resource, but it is a thorough resource. It's just that the examples and the ways in which to approach every step of the project management uh, framework is defined in such a way that it is applicable to a lot of different areas. And so I found myself using the tools and the illustrations Uh, in my own way um, for different things outside of project management too, just thinking about um, stakeholders when it comes to um, other areas of my life too, right? So, so, um, you know, I just, I want to say that that is something that I have tried, that I have loved and, um, you know, to pick it up if you have the opportunity to do so. I think the biggest takeaway for me on what has worked for me in my past is adjusting my workflow and how I visualize schedules for the more creative people on the project. Uh, And what I mean by that is that, um, you know, it's just not a one size fits all situation. I can't just make this schedule and ensure that the director, the producer, the studio executive, um, the head of animation, like all these different people that they can understand what it is that I'm looking at. And I think sometimes, um, you know, both creative and production people get frustrated by this, that they're like, this is so clear for me. Why don't you get it? And I don't want to take the time to create a visual that works for you. Um, And the one thing I've learned is that it is worth it to take the time to create a visual that makes sense to the people that you are working with so that they can get behind and support the project that you're working on. Um, And so I have a really specific example of this when I was working on a movie um, that unfortunately never came out um, while I was at DreamWorks. I was working in story and editorial and uh, the director um, hated Excel spreadsheets. Um, But I needed to be able to talk to him about Um, In animation, we break um, uh, everything up into sequences, which is basically like two to three minute chunks of a movie. And then you pass that out. For example, um, in in story, what that means is you pass the script pages out to the story artist and the story artist um, uh, storyboard out um, that chunk of the movie. And if you aren't familiar with storyboards, um, it's basically capturing the shot um, visually. Um, Sometimes it sort of looks like... um, like panels from a comic book or something like that. And then in editorial, we cut that together and then we look at how it flows and we attach like uh, audio to it. Like, you know, you just have people in the studio record the voices instead of having the the actors do it. And then that is what you use to assess, like, is um, is this a thing that plays? Like, do we like this? And the reason we do that is because 
um, it costs so much damn money to make an animated film uh, that it's like you want to do the blueprint first in the cheapest way possible. Um, and you want to get those story moments right at the beginning instead of like when a million people are working on it later. So I'm working with this director and I need to explain to him what each artist is working on and why it's necessary that this artists, these artists finish their current task so that they can do their next task so that we can get through everything that we need to by the time that we need to have a screening, which has been imposed by us or on us by the studio, right? So it's a deadline that we have no control over. Um, and, you know, at first I show him these Excel spreadsheets and that doesn't make sense to him. Uh, he th literally throws them on the ground. Um, so then I try a different uh, Excel spreadsheet and that didn't make sense to him. He threw it on the ground, refused to look at it. So uh, then I tried a Word document. Um, he didn't like that, didn't make sense to him. So then we tried a whiteboard um, where we would sit together in his office and have stuff on a whiteboard. I thought maybe that would be more like tangible. Um, he hated that because he couldn't take it with him. Um, which I get. Um, so then I tried a Photoshop document um, where I would take images of the storyboards because I was like, he's a very visual person. Maybe he needs to see the storyboards attached to the sequence name, um, attached to the artist so he knows who is working on what and when it's due. Um, and he hated that. Um, and, it, and then I tried a nightly email where I was like, okay, I'm just going to email him with like, here's what's going on per day. He didn't read those. This went on my, probably for six months. Like it went on for a really long time. And of course it was super frustrating for me. Of course there were moments that I was like, just do your damn job. Just look at my schedule and you will know like what we need to get done. Um, but that's not how his brain worked. And finally, finally we hit on the thing that worked for him, which was to highlight sections, to color code sections of the script according to artists. So each artist would have like a color code uh, because he was a director who really uh, needed his script. Like that was his, his touchstone, his cornerstone for the project. And he could look at the script and, and that was what made him understand, oh, this section of the script is being worked on. And the fact that this isn't color coded means no one's working on this. And I need this person to finish up this piece so they can then jump to this piece. This was not a workflow that I would have ever anticipated um, or that I've ever encountered again. But that doesn't mean it was wrong. And certainly it was more work for me because I had to keep up with my regular Excel spreadsheets and then also do this thing for him. But the... Uh, by me taking the extra time to do this piece of workflow, um, this schedule adjustment, this visualization in a way that worked for him, I won. Like I won out because he was able to accomplish the tasks that we needed to on time. And when I say won, I don't mean like I won the argument. I mean, I won because I was able to get my job done <laughs> and I was able to, to accomplish the tasks, right? In a way that I was able to visualize for him. Uh, so of course today we've been talking all about schedules being like these specific, like horizontal and vertical axes and yada, 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 task dependencies. Um, but if you're working with creative people, they may not see it that way. And it is your job to visualize it in a way that makes sense to them. I love that story. I love that story for so many reasons. Um, first of all, your persistence 
in <laughs> in not giving up and and not and also not blaming the director for saying like why can't you just do what I know how to do um, right. and then stretching yourself to try unconventional approaches um, and then ultimately landing on something that did work and being able to say you know this isn't just something that I may use right now but I have to think about how I may be able to use this in the future too you know you never know and it's it's also um, building on your resources and experience and saying like right now you're sharing it with all of our listeners and they may be able to try that or some version of that with their yeah. team or their leaders. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the important takeaway for that is um, just don't be tunnel vision about your schedules and how people um, need to interact with those schedules. Uh, you need to you need to be flexible. Um, you need to understand that yes, there is a version of scheduling that's important for you, um, and certainly you should do that in the way that makes sense to you. Um, but if you're in a team environment, you really need to be thinking about how other people are going to perceive the information. Absolutely. Also, um, the other resource I wanted to mention um, is uh, my textbook that I use for class because it's awesome. And textbook, I use that term loosely, it's called Managing the Design Process, Implementing Design. Uh, and, and I love it. It's by Terry Lee Stone. We'll put it in the resources. I just, uh, it, it's, it's pretty, like it's well-designed itself, and it breaks down really basic management tools for people, like really basic concepts of management of like, where do I start? Uh, how do I assemble a team? How do I write a creative brief? Uh, how do I make a schedule? How do I make a to-do list or a work breakdown schedule, work breakdown structure for my schedule? So um, it really takes you through step by step, and it has a ton of case studies, and it's colorful, so it makes you want to read it. <laughs> no, that's great. I'm really glad that um, this book about managing the design process is also well designed. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that's satisfying. <laughs> Well, you know, we've got one thing left to do, Kara. What's that, Allie? And that is to talk about um, what we're thinking about this week. So um, something I'm thinking about this week is uh, a plug that I want to do for an uh, artist friend of mine, um, Linnell Saunders, who's put together these COVID playing cards. Um, she says they're they're pandemic pandemic edition playing cards getting through the pandemic 14 days at a time and a percentage of the proceeds for these cards goes to those in need through americares so you're also donating to a charity um so if you're interested uh the cards are available at www.covid-cards.net and basically she designed a full set of cards that celebrate essential workers uh and so each of the cards um, showcases like, you know, all of the kings, for example, are male nurses, and they all, of course, have their masks on, and they have their um, hair nets on, right, that sort of thing. Um, or uh, one of the jokers is a, um, a garbage man um, pushing out his, like, garbage, you know, little uh, his garbage cart. 
so I think that um, in light of wanting to not only support local artistry, um, but also support charity and um, come up with fun things for us to share with our with our loved ones this holiday season, um, check out www.covid-cards.net. Um, they are a little pricey. They're like 30 bucks per set, but they are like, you know, hand, you know they're made, um, lovingly made by an artist. So check them out. Awesome. That was great, Kara. They're, they are really beautiful and um, it's a great cause. What I am thinking about this week and what I will probably be thinking about for a long time to come is the book Educated by Tara Westover. And it is uh, a book about a young woman uh, who begins her life um, in a rural place um, and under unusual familial circumstances. uh, And she manages to create a path for herself into academia and she ends up being very successful and um, as someone who spent a lot of time in academia uh, it was wonderful to get a different perspective on a world that I'm far too close to um, to be critical or to have a a nuanced uh, you know idea about um, and so um, the other thing is is that her personal journey that is outlined throughout the book or the thread that runs through the book is her journey of learning and the learning that happens about herself, the learning that happens about her family, and then the learning that happens from the books that she reads. And it's just a beautiful story. It is it's in- so good, you it guys. Is. It's like, it's so interesting. It's like some memoirs for me are a little like over the top or I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't really relate to this section, but like, oh my gosh, this book is so good. And I never thought that I would relate to like a survivalist Mormon family, but somehow I'm able to relate to this woman. <laughs> yeah, she's um, an incredible writer. Yeah, it's so good. And we both listened to it on audio book um and I thought it was great that way yeah it was wonderful and I'll I mean it's something that I'm going to think about for a very very long time totally yeah okay I think that about wraps it up for us on episode 104 scheduling creative projects all right cool well that's that then (laughs) yeah I think we brought up a lot of good stuff yep episode 104 in the books Thank you for listening to this episode of You'll Think of Something. Just as a reminder, the views expressed in this podcast are the personal thoughts and feelings of the hosts and do not reflect those of their affiliated workplaces or larger organizations. To find more resources from the show, including the worksheet for this episode, visit ytos-podcast.com. You can follow us on Instagram at ytos.podcast. And please email us with feedback, with your worksheets, or with suggestions for future shows at ytos.podcast at gmail.com. And remember, don't worry, you'll think of something.